Welcome to the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group. Welcome to October. So it's going to be a big month. Croptober, as some call it. And so we're going to be looking at cannabis data as always. And we should have an interesting day today. So essentially, I thought we could recap some of the work we've been doing the past few months and apply it to Massachusetts, right? So We've been calculating various economic statistics here. And so before we dive into that, let's just go ahead and let Heather into the group. And it's good to see you, Heather. So good to have you. Go. Howdy. Good morning. Howdy, Handoko as well. Nice seeing you again. Handoko. Not so, actually seeing you, I guess. Uh, not. I think both of our cameras haven't been on on the last session, so. Uh, makes two of us. All right, on mute now. We can definitely have more back and forth discussions. So let me know if you just want to, you know, talk cannabis data at any point. Or if you just want to listen, I can show you some of the, you know, the current research I've been doing here at Canlytics. So essentially, what I've gathered and gleaned is People are interested in data because they need to do analytics. They need to get good data. Part of getting good data is curating the data, right? So as we've seen, the data can be messy. You may need to rename data points. You may need to turn text into numbers. You may need to handle text in numbers. For example, less than signs, malformatted entries, double decimal places, what have you. So part of that's the data cleaning. And then we've seen the augmenting of data, right? Where you supplement your data set with other data points. So we've seen that, okay, you know, we can grab data points such as GDP, hours worked, employment, from the Federal Reserve economic data. So we can get those data points, add those to our data sets, we can get the public data and we can standardize that. And so there has to be some value added there, right? And so that's, I think, Canlytics, what we're sort of scoping out is our niche, right? So we've seen, okay, people are doing some analytics so we can help there. We can also help with the data pipelines and we can also provide data as a commodity. So Canalytics is dipping our toes into, you know, offering some of this data that we are curating, you know, to people in the industry. And likewise, people in the industry may be interested in offering their data, albeit perhaps anonymized, to other parties, right, who are interested. So look for your further action in that regard in the coming weeks. So that's exciting news that I wanted to let you know about. Early access knowledge. So without further ado, let's get into some of the data curation that we're doing. So. All right, so we've seen that, at least for Massachusetts, you can access their data, their public data. So, you know, public statistics, daily totals through an API. And, you know, you can get a handful of interesting data points. So you can get daily sales, daily number of plants, packages, employees. And we've been looking at the economic angle. So oh, just to recap some of the work that we've done. So 
just to show you, so just running our analysis in Python, using a handful of standard Python packages, stats models, SciPy, Pandas, Request, NumPy. These are just some helper functions. And this is what we've been doing the past few weeks. So we've basically aggregated the production data and we've also added the licensees data and prices. So we've gone up through this point in previous weeks. So last week we worked with this data to look at the GDP or total sales in Massachusetts. So remember last week we noticed there were some outliers. So here I have simply coded anything greater than, I want to say this is, what's this one do here? Yes, I coded anything greater than 10, mil 10 million sales in a day as zero. I was dividing them by 10, but that wasn't quite working. So there's something going on with those outliers. So I hate to just throw away the data point, but, that was throwing the analysis off too much. Likewise, we shouldn't see sales below zero. So there were a handful of observations with negative sales. So we want to figure out what was going on there as well. Nonetheless, we can get this data and look at the data. See, we've got data starting from October 15th, 2018. It's daily going up until October 5th of 2021. So almost a full year's worth of data here. So real interesting analysis we can do here. Almost three years of, uh, of data here. Alrighty then. So we're looking at Right, so we were looking at sales. This is what you would typically see from a time series sales where you have what's called stochastic trending. So you see this real sporadic movement, high variability. There's still a trend. And as we noted, oh, it looks like, right, there was this period where reporting stopped. So that will throw a bias into our analysis. So we need to take that into consideration. Unfortunately, I hate to just throw away the data, right, because we, right, we've got all this valuable data prior to April of 2020. So I hate to throw away that data. So we'll preface that as we move along. We can go ahead and essentially just aggregate sales into monthly and quarterly. So I'll take the monthly average because that's how we'll want to look at employees, right? The average number of employees at a given point in a month versus sales, where we'll, we'll want to aggregate with a sum because we want to look at the total sales in a month. So we can basically create both of these series here. And we looked at these last week, but we can look at them again. So this is monthly sales, what we were calling GDP. You see the, the business cycle prefaced with, we do have missing observations right at this dip. So that dip may not be as actual as we think it is. So nonetheless, um, and we can even look at quarterly if, you know, we're interested in a bit smoother of a series here. All right. 
So we created those series. Just going to grab the licensees data and just have it on hand. And we also can grab the price data. So prices. In economics, you're often essentially calculating or estimating the price for everything, right? Everything has a price. So, right, so that's what the, the competitive equilibrium is, right? That's when, right, the market supply equals demand, everything shakes out, prices are determined, and a certain quantity is bought or not bought at a certain price. So we're going to be pricing everything. So we've got everything in the market, right? So we've got the prices on the actual good here. So this is average price per ounce. Unfortunately, this is probably average price per ounce of flour. So this, you know, doesn't take into consideration the myriad of products we have going on here. So I'm going to go ahead and hedge my analysis in that and just once again say, you know, the work we do here at the Canvas Data Science Meetup Group a lot of proof of concept so we're just saying okay the data exists you can crunch it in this manner if you're going to do this formally then you're going to want to be a bit more rigorous in your data cleaning and what have you and we may have a new member so so good to have you steve we're doing a market analysis of Massachusetts at the moment using cannabis data. So happy to hear about your background if you want to chime in. So just, just feel free to speak up um, or not, if not, then I'll just continue droning on with, with this presentation. So essentially we're saying, okay, market analysis, we're determining prices in the market. We're given the price, presumably, of flour. So that's awesome. So we have some of our work already done for us. So we've got the average price per ounce. Well, you know, we can put this in meaningful quantities here. So we'll just say, okay, you know, what's the average price per gram? given there's approximately 28 grams in an ounce, then how many are in a 16th of an ounce? Because that's a common measurement at the retail level. An eighth of an ounce, another common retail measurement. And then a quarter of an ounce, another common retail measurement. And so these are just averages, so nothing glamorous. In reality, right, you'd expect quantity discounts. So it would be awesome to have more granular price data where it'll work with what we're given. I have a saying, when given peanuts, make peanut butter. <laughs> so in this case, we'll work with what we're given. <laughs> so we can see, okay, you know, what's the, what's the average price per gram? Let's just hedge every dip here in August of 2020 with there is missing data. And we just can't consider that month reliable. So in fact, later on in the analysis, I'm excluding when we start running regressions, I'm excluding August of 2020 because it, it's an outlier, right? We're dropping other outliers so that they don't bias our analysis and there's too many things that are wrong with this. There are too many sources of bias in this month, right? For starters, we're missing our data. So that's that's bad. 
Um, so, and, you know, the relative percent difference, what have you. Okay, enough of that. We've got our price per gram, you know, we can say, and so this is where I'm going to say, okay, let's start excluding, let's start excluding August of 2020. I'm not sure if this, let's just say, okay, you know, what was the, Yeah, yeah, that'll exclude it. Yeah, we'll just say, okay, what, what's the, you know, the average price per gram in the past 12 months? Well, it's about 13.33 or so. And if you look at just the price in the last year, price per gram, yeah, this guy, and we've got a visible negative trend here. Of course, we're just going from 13.5 to 13.1, but is this something to take into consideration? Also, if you're more interested in looking at, you know, the price per eight, you can look at the price per eight, about $46, $47. I think this is interesting data. So if you're a retailer, how are you pricing your products? Are you above average, below average? Right? It's a benchmark. Imperfect benchmark, but yeah, it's a benchmark nonetheless. So we can continue our data curation, right? So all of this is data curation, right? Because first we had to go through the whole rigmarole of getting the data through the API. Yeah, not that not that complicated, but you have to do it. Then you already saw that okay, we're already calculating a data point. We're already having to curate that data point, right? There are imperfections in the data. So have to buff those out. And look, we're now creating entirely new series of data, right? These aren't like, this is a whole series of data, right? We've, we've given daily data and now we've created monthly and quarterly series and we've indexed it by the date. So value added. Just got licensees data, haven't really added much value there yet. We've got the price data. We've added a, we've created a few new series here. So that's not nothing. Moving on, we can now supplement the data. So first to supplement it, we have to actually get the other data series. So we saw that the Federal Reserve economic data is a smashingly good source. Once again, it has its own imperfections, right? So nothing's perfect, but you can get some interesting data points here. The frequency may not be as we'd like it. And you know, we may not quite have up to real time, right? So we only have up through August, but We'll take what we're given. So we'll supplement our data here. Initialize Federal Reserve client. Specify when we're starting our analysis. Right. And we can just grab a handful of data sets. So this is awesome. So we can grab the labor force. We can get the total number of employees in Massachusetts. We can get the population. And, and we can go ahead and get the average weekly wage. I'm not sure we'll need it, but we can get it nonetheless. 
and then we can get the average weekly hours worked. So we can get one, two, three, four, five data sets here. So that's awesome. So we already have one, two, three data sets. So we'll add five more, right? And so this is what I'm saying, like we're aggregating data and curating it in order to provide value, right? So we've now we're now working with eight data sets. We have touched each data set to make it a bit more user-friendly. And we can now start calculating interesting novel statistics. So we saw that we were just going to define GDP as sales. So we can, you know, compare cannabis GDP to total GDP in Massachusetts. And this is our analysis from last week. So I'm not going to get into it too much. Other than we saw, okay, you know, cannabis as a percent of GDP is increasing. And, you know, there's a non-negligible amount of GDP per capita. And so that's a crude measure of the well-being of the people of Massachusetts. So if you were going to try to quantify, okay, from an economic perspective, how much better off are people in Massachusetts because of permit, permitting adult use cannabis? Well, you can average it as about, okay, you know, they're about, a, you know, I think, what, what did we say? So now we're saying they're about $120 or so. I thought we said it was $140, so we'll have to double check this. But yeah, they're a little more than $100 a person better off. And so it may not seem much, but remember, this is every single person. This is every child all the way up to you know, every, every retired person. So it adds up. It adds up. So, and it's increasing, right? So this is just the beginning. So we're going to essentially try to keep adding more data points and statistics here. So this is analysis that we did back in March. And just to give you a refresher on the you know the economics oh grow we're going back to march right because we're trying to keep using some of these st statistics that we've looked at along the way so here we're looking at employees Ah, yes. And we're essentially saying, okay, right, we're measuring output, Y, right? So that's our cannabis sales. And we're saying, okay, let's try to match an economic model here. So we said, okay, what if output is a function of plants and labor? So this is what's called a Cobb-Douglas production function. So it's just taking capital and labor, and they're each raised to the power function. And then A is a, is a production augmenting technology. And then you've got a random production shock. So that kind of encapsulates everything else. So that's policy decisions or the, you know, uh, you know, you know, climate-related disasters, right? Like if a hurricane hits, or 
you know, what what have you, lightning strikes. So, um, so just kind of moving through this quick for a bit more in depth, definitely revisit our competitive wage and competitive interest rate episodes. So we're basically just saying, okay, sales is a function of capital and labor. And this allows us to basically um, I'll have to, to lay out the, if you look, look at my website, I've got the, you know, the, how you derive the wage. So maybe I'll do this in a future presentation. So essentially you can show that, you know, the wage rate is a function of, you know, output and labor supply, as well as our labor productivity beta and so beta is essentially our their measure on how productive labor is in the production function this is a little messy let's see if this one was a little cleaner just cannabis sold and plants Exactly. And so and then we were basically saying, okay, given our Coblet-Douglas production function, you can estimate the parameters with a regression model, right? So you just take the log of your equation, and then you can basically say, okay, you know, log of sales is equal to a constant that is exogenous to the model which means it's not explained by the model. Then you have our parameters. So a parameter on capital and our parameter on labor. And then a random shock, which you expect in a, reg a regression. So that's the, the dirty lesson, the dirty economics lesson, quick and dirty. So We'll do that a bit more in depth and a bit more thoroughly in the future because I'm not satisfied with that explanation. But nonetheless, we'll just keep the steam rolling along for now. So we can essentially define those variables here. So we're just saying, okay, why? Well, that's our monthly sales. We can say, so we're going to work with monthly data here. Just to smooth out some of the stochasticness of the daily data. So capital, we're going to proxy capital as just the number of total plants tracked. And so this is going to be everything from vegetative plants to immature plants to flowering plants to potentially harvested and destroyed plants. So is this a perfect measure of capital? Absolutely not. We're just using it as a proxy because you have to proxy capital with something unless you actually have a measure of capital at all these firms. So we'll make the, we'll do the best with what we have. So once again, hedge, it'd be much better to have a better measure of capital. Labor, we're essentially going to define labor as the total number of hours worked. And so we'll have to estimate that and we'll estimate that hours worked as the average number of employees times the average monthly average the average monthly hours worked times four, assuming there are four, some sort of alarm going off. So, 
hopefully we okay sorry for that it appears there's um some sort of there it is okay okay here wait one second whenever you get a break okay 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 just a, a, get a new here okay so we can define our economic variables sales capital and labor and we were defining labor as the average number of employees times the average hours worked times four assuming they're you know about four weeks in a month so we can define our economic variables and if we just take a quick look at these we'll see that for example we don't have a good measure for october of 2018 and furthermore because of the federal reserve right they only have data through august so we're limited with our measure of labor right through through august once again we may retry this analysis just using potentially a different measure for labor however i'm trying to essentially calculate the average hourly wage so that's why I'm trying to get everything into a measure of hours. So we'll work with what we're given and essentially we'll drop October of 2018. We'll also drop August of 2020 because it was an outlier and there's missing data. And then also drop September and October of 2021, because we don't quite have recent data for these months yet. So you can exclude these missing observations. And without further ado, we can estimate the economic model. Right, so this is the regression that we just ran. We just ran our dependent variable is sales, the log of sales, right? And our dependent variables were the log of capital and the, the log of labor. Oh, I see. And we've estimated our co coefficients here. Excellent. So. This is interesting. So I normally would expect alpha to be higher than beta, but this may be contrary to our expectations. So essentially we're estimating that alpha, right? So alpha is just the coefficient on the log of capital and beta is the coefficient on the log of labor. So we're basically estimating that alpha is about approximately you know 0 0.19 and beta is approximately 0 0.45 for constant returns to scale you would expect alpha plus beta right so if you're just looking at 
the production function here. So this is just a mathematical concept, right? Uh, constant returns to scale, your power coefficients would be equal to one. Decreasing returns to scale, or your coefficients are less than one, and then increasing returns to scale, they're greater than one. So here our coefficients are alpha and beta. So if alpha plus beta equals one, you'd have constant returns to scale. Here you've got decreasing returns to scale, which essentially means, you know, that we'll, re we'll reach a, an equilibrium here. Alrighty then. So without further ado, let's use these coefficients. I'm not sure we need these data points, but let's grab those statistics. But yes, and I think I, I had to, right, so beta is actually our last parameter. And then alpha is our first parameter, that's right. So we can actually go ahead and estimate the competitive wage. So we already looked at the competitive wage in Colorado. So now we can look at the competitive wage in Massachusetts and see if they're comparable. And this is, could be interesting, right? So if you're an employee, do you want to go work in Colorado or do you want to go work in Massachusetts? Right, the cost of living may vary, but you may want to go to where the wage is highest. Likewise, if you're a lab director, you may have to set a different wage rate in Massachusetts than you may in Colorado. So without further ado, let's estimate what the wage rate is. Miguel just raised. Okay. So, um, well, this is interesting. So, let's go back to our model here. So, remember that if we're going to declare that these are statistically different than zero, right, our, our confidence interval has to not include zero. So as we can see at, you know, the 5% confidence level, which is pretty confident, well, if you're a frequentist, so you wouldn't be able to declare that these are statistically significant. These are not statistically significant, really different than zero at the 95% confidence level. The Parameter beta appears to be confident, appears to be statistically statistically significantly different than zero at the 10% confidence level. And then alpha is we can't conclude any statistical significance. Granted, we have a small data set here, 33 observations after we've excluded the missing observations. So not the greatest regression in the world. And so that is, explains why we can't be certain about the wage rate. In fact, we, we're just saying, oh, the wage rate, the minimum could be less than zero. Well, you know, we know that's not actually possible. Um, well, or is it? Um, and so this is where you run into interesting situations in economics where maybe people would be in some situations willing to work for a negative wage rate in that, you know, maybe they'll commute and incur costs greater than their actual wage. And why would they do that? Maybe they're trying to seek experience. So it's possible, but that's sort of, you know, going way out on a limb. Um, so let's just look at, you know, just the, uh, just the wage rate here. And so, First thing I noticed is it's really high at the beginning. So this is when the market is just starting up. And from an economics point of view, this makes sense, right? The industry 
just comes online. There's not a lot of people working in the cannabis industry. The marginal product of labor is going to be incredibly high. So that means the wage rate is going to be high if it's a competitive industry, right? Because just adding one employee is going to add a whole lot of value. So you're willing to give them a high wage rate. Adding the second employee is also going to provide a lot of value. So you're also willing to pay them a lot. As more and more employees come up into the industry, each additional employee adds slightly less marginal productivity. So you would expect wage, wages to decrease. And sure enough, that appears what to have been the case. So as the industry first comes online, it would make sense for companies to pay people hand over fist to come and work for them, right? So if you're a producer, if you're a retailer, if you're a lab, you want to attract talent, right? You want to attract the best salespeople. You want to attract the best farmers, right? The, be the, you know, the best, uh, you know, processors, the best manufacturers. You want to uh, attract the best chemists, the best microbiologists, the best managers. So you may pay them a premium, right? You may pay them a higher wage rate than they're pay than they're getting paid in their current industry because, right, they're going to add a lot of, right? They're going to add a lot of value to your company in the cannabis space. So you can pay them a high wage rate. As time goes on, it looks like things stabilize. So, you know, so this is where, you know, we're starting to reach an equilibrium. Have we reached an equilibrium yet? Hard to say. Um, so we'll just say, okay, you know, what's the wage been in the past 12 months? We're estimating that in the past 12 months, the competitive wage in the cannabis industry in Massachusetts is almost $40 an hour on average. Are people getting paid the competitive wage? Not necessarily, right? So depending on market frictions, people may not be getting paid their competitive wage. If people have strong monopoly power, then they may get paid more than their competitive wage, right? So if there's barriers to entry for, for certain positions, I'm not sure the regulations in Massachusetts, I know in Colorado, you have to get a license to be in the cannabis industry. So these are various frictions. So you, employees can use these frictions to ask for a rate above their competitive wage rate. You know, conversely, I'll need to think a bit more about this, but if companies have stronger bargaining power, then they may not be able to get their competitive wage. I'll need to think more, more on this. For now, let's just focus on the data here. So just curious what the max wage. Okay, so we're saying, okay, you know, they could be paid up to $51 an hour. And this is your average employee. You know, this is, you know, your sales, your retailer. Um, or people working in retail. And but then again, remember this is wild, like this is a wildly inaccurate measure, right? Because we're saying, oh, you know, the our lower bound is negative 18. That's not even really possible. So large, large room for errors here. Just to 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 continue, right? So remember, let's stay on track here, right? So we've got in the prices. And then we said, okay, this is about the price per unit. Well, we just priced labor, right? In economics, everything has a price. 
and in equilibrium, we determine the price. So at each point in time, the market reached an equilibrium. People decided how much labor they were going to supply. Employers decided how much labor they were going to employ. The wages were set and the employees were paid and the revenue was gained. So, you know, at each point in time, we've got an equilibrium. And so, you know, the equilibrium competitive wage will be fluctuating over time. And that's essentially just the, the price for people's labor. Like how much do you have, how much does an employer have to pay to get one hour of labor from the average employee? So that, so that is the price on labor. Um, so that's a cost. Um, so, but once again, we're determining the prices in equilibrium. That's the price on labor. Moving on. There's actually a price on capital. Right. So the investors, right? So they there were investors that invested in these cannabis companies, the productions, the processors, the retailers, and they're expecting a return on their investments. So you can think about this as okay, so all the physical goods that were invested in, how much return do those yield? Well, we can estimate what the average competitive rate of return is. Once again, the market may not be competitive, right? Uh, people may have patents on certain technologies. It may be hard to move equipment from point A to point B. There's you know, a lot of factors that make the industry uncompetitive and so people may have to pay a higher competitive rate of return risk right there, there there's a non-negligible chance that your capital may get seized um or you, you you there may be some serious losses in capital right so if you invest a lot in a specific parcel of land and then all of a sudden the zoning changes well, you may incur a loss on some of your investments. So there's a, a, a risk premium. So these may not be factored into the competitive rate of return. Nonetheless, we always say a measure is better than no measure, even if it's wildly inaccurate. So, well, that may not necessarily be true. So just hedge that this could be wildly inaccurate. Once again, it's a proof of concept. So if you're going to do this on your own, you could repeat this in a more rigorous manner. So without further ado, let's see if this looks <clears throat> rational. So it doesn't quite look let's see, just it doesn't quite look like a rational number here. Yes. And now I'm I'm struggling with units, right? Because is this are they expecting a hundred and ten percent return? Are they expecting a ten percent return? Or is this, um, you know, a 1,010% return? So I'm not happy with this, with this measure here. Um, let me think about this for a second. Okay, so this is sales per plant. So I think this measure must be, <clears throat> if given those units, dollars per plant. Um, so this is maybe not the best measure of the rate of return because we're basically saying they're expecting, they're saying, 
Yes, so that is not the best measure because we're basically saying, okay, on average, you can expect $90 per plant per month for your investment. What does a plant cost per month um, that is left out of the picture? So that's that's why we were kind of struggling with with the units here right so the units matter so i want to revisit this and i may think on this during the week and we can maybe discuss this more next week but i'm wanting to say that this is sales per plant so the rate of return is 90 dollars per plant uh, per month um it's not a very uh, logical measure of the rate of return. And I may be wildly in incorrect. So I want to think about I want to think about this measure a bit more. One thing, so our measure on the rate of return per plant is not well, actually maybe that's okay. Maybe that's all right, right? So, you know, the investor says, okay, you know, if we're going to fund, you know, a 100 plant room or a 5,000 plant room, then we want, you know, $90 per plant back per month. Um, that sounds pretty high, but, but maybe we'll keep visiting this next week. And maybe next week we'll try to, to estimate the cost of production. So that way we can get this into percentages. So like what's the cost per plant per month? So that way we could calculate what the and what well what we could maybe do is look at the sales per plant per month. Okay, okay, this is how we can do this here. So the rate of return okay right is nine is around ninety dollars per plant and each plant is grossing you know around well what is each plant grossing Each tract, well, each tract, well, well, let's just look at this in the last 12 months. Okay, so in the last 12 months, each plant has averaged about $475 per month in revenue. Um, so, so I wonder, so, so if the so rate of return divided by the sales per plant, didn't do something right here. see why oh i see i see i see um okay so we're we're just backing out alpha right there okay um yeah i'm going to need to think a bit more about this so So <clears throat> price per plant. You will I guess I guess that would I guess that's basically it, right? So if a cultivator has to pay 
the investor around you know 90 bucks per yeah 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 per plant there um right so the difference basically I want to say that's profit per plant. Um, so this is sales per plant net, the rate of return, right? So for each plant, they're going to be grossing so much, but then they have to pay back their investor a certain amount per plant. So, so this would be, you know, this is not quite, profit per, per plant right because you're not including uh, labor costs here but we're kind of hon we're kind of moving in the direction of the you know the profit margin per plant i'm going to want to think about this we've gotten a little messy here towards the end so i'm going to tidy this up for next week because Right, we're trying to do the market analysis here and determine the prices at equilibrium, and we've kind of gotten a crude measure of okay, what's the price per plant? And I want to say that's the rate of return here. So I want to say we've priced it. I want to say we've just now priced the cost of a, a plant and we price the cost of labor. So, so yes, so we, so next week we should be able to estimate profit margins here. So why don't we try to do that next week? Why don't next week we try to estimate what are the profit margins in the cannabis industry in Massachusetts and try to to just see okay is the average profit you know per licensee or perhaps per producer or retailer is that increasing or decreasing my conjecture is just from what I've seen markets tend to get more concentrated over time which gives the firm's monopoly power But I don't know. So I'm not going to make a conjecture yet. So are are you know prices no no profits rising or falling? Um, I don't know. It, it depends. You know, is the you know industry becoming more competitive um, over time or not? Right, because if the industry is becoming more competitive over time, then we're going to expect average profits to be heading towards zero. So if the industry is becoming more competitive, then we should see average profits heading to zero. If they're heading in the other direction, then there may be forces at play making the industry less competitive. So I think that's something to look at next week hedging that this that these are all crude measures but i want to say that we've now all determined prices we we definitely have the prices of the products we have a crude measure of the price of labor and i want to say we now have the price for a plant i'm going to think about this during the week and we can revisit this next week but i think we may now have prices so now we can look at profits and and make a make a a statement about market competitiveness and how it may be changing over time in massachusetts and we could even potentially compare that to other states like colorado and so this is what 
right? Our industrial organization economics is all about, right? So we're saying, okay, you know, how do these policies in Colorado, how do they affect the, the outcomes and the, the, the structure and the performance? Likewise, how, you know, how do these states compare? So how do decisions made in Massachusetts, how do those affect the market versus decisions made in Colorado? And maybe other states can learn from 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 decisions that these states have made. Last but not least, we've also looked at inflation in the past. So it could just end the day by just saying, oh, you know, we can just see, okay, you know, how, you know, how are prices changing over time? Looks like we have this wild, you know, outlier here. But I just think, you know, it's interesting to see. Um, you know, just, you know, how prices are changing over time. Right. And, you know, the price of cannabis in Massachusetts may have, may have stabilized um, here. Um, right. So it'd be interesting to see what the trend is here. So we'll, we'll start looking at that next week. We'll start looking at the trend in prices and try to look at market competitiveness in Massachusetts. So today, you know, we've begun our analysis here, our market analysis of Massachusetts. So we've gotten the data, we've analyzed the data, we've curated the data and supplemented it with other data sets. And we've now begun our analysis. We've calculated statistics and we are now using economic models, so economic theory to estimate what the competitive wage may be or what the competitive interest rate may be or the competitive rate of return on plants may be in Massachusetts. So, Real thorough analysis, and yeah, you're welcome to to use all of this work and do it on your own. So you're welcome to to do your own economic analysis of another state, or repeat my analysis and try to try to do it better without some of these shortcomings that I've run into. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of work to be done here. So real exciting work here, and as always. We're using economics, data, cannabis know-how, and science to have fun and try to make some interesting insights about the cannabis industry. So, thank you for tuning in here. And then, are there any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, what have you. So feel free to chime in. On that note, you're always welcome to contact me. So you can send me a message through meetup.com slash cannabis data, cannabis hyphen data hyphen science.com. <sighs> Just do a Google search for Meetup Cannabis Data Science. You can also check out the archive on canlytics.com forward slash videos. So you can find the video archive there. Do a search on GitHub for the Cannabis Data Science. And you will find the repository where we have all the meetups. So you can find all the source code and all the data sets. Awesome. Awesome. So it's not clean. So as you'll see, you know, some of the work we've done, it's a little ad hoc and we're just kind of writing scripts as we go, but eh, it's there for you to use. So you can at least, you know, grab snippets that we've written. You can find data sets that we've compiled. There are notes to where we've found data sources and what have you. So yeah, by all means, check it out. Use anything that you find useful and definitely reach out if you, you want to talk cannabis science or data science in general. So always happy.
On that note, thank you for attending the Cannabis Data Science Meetup Group here in Ohio. So checking out the medicinal market here in Ohio. And it's exciting. So visiting a handful of laboratories here. And this time we're moving west and just going to keep visiting laboratories and keeping the, my ear to the ground of what's happening in the cannabis industry. And so I'll let everybody know. And until next week, we're going to be doing a bit more thinking about the economics of our market analysis in Massachusetts and think about directions for next week. So until then, feel free to reach out. And it's been awesome speaking with you all. So stay productive, everyone. Thank you.